Nice to meet you, Zephyr. Heard a lot of great things about you. Ooh, I don't know how much of it is true, but we'll we'll find out. Um, is it Ford? But yeah, sorry, Ford. Car. Similar difference. Don't let me do <laughs> it on the podcast. That'll be really bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
um, and the underlying mission, right? That it was focusing on safety uh, and eliminating that variability of the, the 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 risks that humans take getting into a car every day. Man, you, you hit the buzzword, right? Safety when it comes to autonomous vehicles, right? Like that's such a question, right? I have a friend of mine who, who did a master's in ML and he kept posing the question of like, do you hit the car or do you hit the pedestrian? And like, how do you program that in? Where are we? Like, I have no idea how to think about that. Like, where are we in terms of safety? Where are we in terms of those types of ethical questions? Like, how are people thinking about that when it comes to developing autonomous vehicles? Yeah, I mean, the trolley problem that you're describing is 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 a classical case. And, and I, I think, you know, we've been talking about that for a decade and, and we'll probably continue to talk about that for a decade. So, you know, how uh, every, you know, uh, unique uh, software system handles that problem um, is going to be up to the the you know creators of that system and the people who are writing those policies, um, and and I think it's a combination not just of the the vehicle's intelligence making that decision, but there's still so much that needs to happen from a policy and regulatory environment perspective. You know. Can we actually have autonomous vehicles on the road today operating in hybrid environments with human driven vehicles? I mean, the reality is we're still so far away from that, um, that, you know, I, I think we're going to still see another five to 10 years pass um, before the technology is ready, before the infrastructure is there, before all the regulatory environment is there. Um, so, yeah, big question, but I think we're still a, a long ways away from the answer. So what's, what is like, cause like, I mean, I stalked the life out of you, right? But like when you were at May Mobility, right? And you said that you think that we're totally ready right now for autonomous vehicles. Like we're, we're on the verge of it, that, you know, moving conference room, as you called it, was ready to go, right? Where can we be in five years? Like realistically, what, what does that look like? What's that roadmap? Do we need regulatory change? Is the technology there? Yeah, yeah. So, so the asterisk, you know, that that I always put on that statement while I was at May Mobility is that it's all contextual to the environment that you're in. Okay. So we were operating low speed vehicles for for short duration trips. You know, we were moving people about uh, a half mile to a mile uh, between a parking lot and an office building. Very, very different context, right? From okay. from your typical um, commercial vehicle on higher speed roads. Um, so, you know, I think that caveat is definitely still in place. Okay. Um, and, you know, our vehicles at May were always manned by a fleet attendant. Mm -hmm. um, and so that fleet attendant was always there to uh, observe the performance of the vehicle, ensure safe operation. Um, so I don't think that's going to change for, for a while yet. Um, uh, you know, I think that if you're asking about the next five years, like that's probably still the reality. I mean, certainly we can look at Waymo and what they're doing right now. And I mean, they, it is fascinating what they've been able to achieve. And yes, they have uh, truly driverless vehicles in operation. Um, and, As and of this week, right? That's right. Yeah. Fully, fully open to the public, right? In, in yep. the Phoenix yep. metro area. So super exciting. Um, but they are the, they're, they're the exception. You know, I think everyone else is still very much in um, earlier stages of development. And, uh, you know, by, I'd say by all standards, 
you know, that next five years is still going to be pretty limited use cases, pretty limited uh, design domains. Um, and for the most part, you know, still uh, humans monitoring the performance of the system. What What is the next milestone then? Right? Like what? So like, can you, can you paint me a picture of like, do we have autonomous technology? Like cars are capable of doing it or are they not? Like, or is it, we just need a regulatory milestone? Like what, what is the next like two or three milestones in the timeline for them? I mean, I think the technology is certainly um, evolving still. Um, and it's, it's amazing to see what some of these vehicles are capable of and the software stack and, and the, the hardware suite that they're using. Um, so, you know, Voyage is another great example. Uh, you know, if you follow um, Voyage and you know their CEO almost on a you know biweekly basis is posting updates on their vehicle performance. And so, you know, I think these systems are becoming more and more sophisticated literally every week. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I'd say you, know, you just brought it up. I think the milestone we just hit with Waymo extending their operating footprint, huge milestone. Um, I think we're also, you know, we think so much about autonomous vehicles as being robo-taxis. And, mm. and uh, I think the reality is we're going to see more of it happening in the fleet and logistics space. Uh, so uh, Waymo just earlier at the beginning of the year uh, launched a whole new business line focused on trucking. Um, and, and a lot of people that you talk to at Waymo will tell you, or, or and, and across the industry will tell you, that's the real focus area right now. It's it's trucking and logistics. It's uh it's a different use case. It's not in you know high traffic, uh, high suburban or, or pedestrian traffic zones. Um, you know they can run these vehicles uh, under different design constraints um, and and have these uh, freight and logistics trucks operating on corridors where they can they can safely operate. So. Um, so who's, who's going to win that? Is that, I mean, I think freight and my uneducated like view is Uber, right? Like we hear about Uber freight a lot, but I don't know if they're really anywhere in their technology. Like who are the different players and where are they at? Uh, I mean, Waymo is, is certainly one of the bigger ones. Um, I'd say, you know, U Uber is probably uh, on their way. You know, they had the acquisition of, um, I believe it was called Auto, um, OTTO, uh, which was another autonomous trucking company. Um, and, you know, there are a handful of others that are, are slipping my mind right now. And there are a number of upstarts. Okay. Um, uh, some of my former GM colleagues uh, joined a, a startup called Arrival. Uh, and Arrival is based out of the UK, um, but they're completely reimagining uh, uh, what do you call them? Like, uh, you know, like the UPS truck. Mm. Um, and it, I mean, just Google them. These, these vehicles are beautiful and, uh, they're rebuilding them from the ground up. They're electric. What, what uh, makes a vehicle beautiful, bro? Tell me, tell me what makes a vehicle beautiful. I'm a, I'm a big design geek, man. So, okay. you know, the, the, uh, I mean, just think about your perception of like a FedEx vehicle or a UPS, uh, truck today. Yeah. Um, and, you know, completely reimagine that with, you know, 21st century lines, like very just, you know, I'm, I'm doing hand gestures like you can <laughs> understand what I'm saying. Um, but no, I'm like, do a Google search, you know, for, for an image of a, an, a, an arrival truck or the arrival bus. Um, and, uh, you know, 
you, you can tell a very clear difference. And um, they're, it, it's a design-driven approach. I know those guys, and, and they're, they're um, putting a lot of attention into just even the look and feel of, of how the operator in the vehicle um, functions differently. The, the UI and the UX inside of the vehicle is totally different from you know, uh, what I think today's vehicles were designed to, to uh, the, the experience today's vehicles were designed to deliver. So um, I think that's another huge aspect that's changing in the industry is is the experience that people will have. I mean, look, see, there you go. We, we, we pulled up a picture of, of the arrival. The sleek and curvy and still very not aerodynamic. <laughs> I mean, no. it's a blunt body, right? You're 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 sticking packages in there, so at some point it's got to be able to put packages. But um, yeah, that's always your problem with a semi truck, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's moving tough. a box, and and even that. I mean, I think that was one of their first generation concept designs. Um, I think they have some more recent um, uh, revamps of their design to to address those types of issues. Mm. But as a typical startup, right? You prototype and you test and you iterate. Um, and, uh, but that, that's that, the interesting thing though, right? Like you're talking about these startups and these new companies, right. That are doing it. And maybe like the big tech players like Google with Waymo, right? Like how does legacy companies, like you were at GM for a number of years, how do they even compete in this space? Right? Like, are they, I mean, the, the conception is that they're super, super bureaucratic, right. And they're like, they don't innovate as fast and they're not agile. Like, is that true? Or do they have like innovation centers? How's that working? I mean, I'd say for the most part, it's true. Um, okay. They are, you know, these gigantic hundred-year-old ships that that you know need to turn direction, um, and they've got a lot of momentum behind them with their core business and a hundred years of experience. And so, you know, it was, it was the job for folks like me inside of GM to help push and to help change direction and. Um, yeah, I think it takes time. Um, I, I worked very closely with like our, our ventures arm inside of GM and, and we built a lot of relationships and made a lot of investments with startups. Um, we also tried to launch some of our own internal startups um, to try to move faster around developing new products. And, and so I helped to run an incubator that was focused on doing that. So I, I think, you know, they're all on that journey. Um, yeah. And I think the reality is, I mean, some of them are going to adapt and and figure it out faster right and some of them aren't and they'll either go through the growing pains of that or the reality is the industry is going to look different 10 years from now some of these guys might die yeah. uh, and you'll see others you know the likes of tesla or arrival or others that didn't exist um and are now you know at the top of the game yeah i mean so i think one of the big challenges for them has got to be talent right like they they lured you away from Google, which to me is pretty incredible. Maybe it's because you went from ads to like autonomous vehicles, so that was a real cool content switch for you. But like, well, let me let me give you the truth on on, on that story, right? Um, I mean, leaving Google was a hard decision, right? Um, and it it wasn't that I was lured away. Uh, it was actually a personal decision that I had mm. to make when my first child was born. Mm. Um, and and so that was you know my family's all here. Um, at the time, my, my final role at Google was out in the Bay Area at, mm -hmm. at headquarters. Um, so I had to make that tough decision that I'm going to come back. Um, and, and it actually took me a year to find that, well, a year and a half to find that gig at GM. Mm -hmm. um, 
So just to, you know, just to be very clear about even that decision to leave and to come here and landing at GM, um, those were another set of just like happenstance, you know, things that I, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. But it's not like I said, oh, I'm going to go over to the automotive industry because that's what I'm excited about right now. And while we're talking about your career trajectory, why did you leave product and go to consulting? That seems like a huge switch. Well, so the reality is um, my practice inside of consulting is focused on helping others do product right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, my experience both in uh, places like Google and, and General Motors, as well as at five different startups throughout my career, it's all been about figuring out how to go from idea to prototype to product and business as fast as possible. Um, and just like we're talking about the GMs and the Fords of the world, I mean, every industry uh, is in this transition state right now where they're thinking about the new digital lifestyle that their consumers are leading, the connected ecosystem, and how are they going to shift their product strategy? Um, and, and so the practice that I'm in focuses on you know, helping them in that transition. So I like to think I'm, I'm still doing product, but just like one degree removed. Okay. That, that makes sense. But you're like, I mean, digital products, connected products, right? How do you have a framework for like what makes sense to be connected or is everything and its mother going to be connected? Do I need a connected coffee pot? Is that the next thing for me to get? Yes. <laughs> you don't have one already? I mean, come on, man. Alexa should be making your coffee for you before you, you know, you set uh, foot in the kitchen. But isn't it a meditative experience for anyone else but me? Like, think about the, the autonomous vehicles, right? Like you've said many times in like your, your different, you know, speeches that this is an opportunity for people to look up, to connect with the world, to connect with each other socially. Isn't that just going to lead to more screen time? Like, aren't people just going to keep swiping on TikTok if they're in all these autonomous vehicles? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, man. I, um, I think there has to be a balance. Um, and, and I'm a big believer that... You, know, you it's important to connect with the real world and to put your screen away. And, and so, you know, I think we have to be judicious about what we do and do not connect. You know, uh, I, I joked about Alexa making your coffee um, and you're right. For some people, that act of uh, grinding the, the, the beans and, and pouring it and, and all of that, um, that can be an experience that they want to connect with. Um, and, and, for others, it's not. Um, I'm not a big coffee drinker. I drink it maybe, you know, once every few days. Um, and he's shaking his head like I'm, <laughs> I just committed sacrilege. Um, uh, you know, but it's, a, but it, it's just like that. It, I, I think we have to decide what are the experiences that we really value the most um, and give people options, right? And do you, do you want in? Uh, I mean, I'm a... I'm a huge uh, tennis fan, mm -hmm. you know, so for me, it's important to carve out that time where I know I'm going to get away and I can be on the court and even, even uh, on the tennis court, there are connected tennis rackets and, and um, you know, they're putting um, accelerometers and, and all sorts of things in, in the butt cap of the tennis racket. And I'm old school. Like, I don't want any of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just want to step out on the court with my old tennis racket and, and play. Um, 
So I think this is going to be, uh, it, it's going to be an optimization and we're going to figure out, it, it's crazy. I mean, if you go on Amazon, right? And basically any product you search for, there will be a connected version of it. Um, and some of them, some of them are, are great ideas and some of them are not, right? I mean, we'll- What are um, the cool ones? What are the cool ones that you found? Oh man. Um, Trying to think of I mean, connected thermostat, it's been around for a while, but that thing is game changer. Oh, sure, sure. No, I mean, I, I consider that old school, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I will say, you brought up thermostat. I'm a big believer in connected home. Mm -hmm. um, I My entire home is um, part of the Google ecosystem. So my blinds, my lights, my security system, my doorbell, um, what else garage sprinklers i mean at at you know one back and call to my friendly google assistant here um i can i can do do all of that yeah. um, so things like that and it's funny i have three little kids hmm. and they probably talk to google more than they talk to me um and <laughs> they're just it's because they know they can do all of this stuff you know, I used to, when I was a kid, fumble around the house for the remote control and have to switch channels. They can literally say like, play uh, Ninjago on Netflix on that TV and it's done. Like they're sitting down and watching TV. Um, so I think a lot of those things are, are realities. Um, you know, when we talk about what will be connected, you know, the home, the office space is another one that I think we're gonna see increasingly connected. Um, and, and the reality too, like with autonomous vehicles, I'm a big believer that that space, once we don't have to drive, hmm. uh, is going to be more about the experiences we can create in it than, you know, hands glued to the wheel and, and focus on the road. So, you know, I think those are all inevitable futures for us. So it's like, as you think about the home, right? Like we all have this, I don't know, I've probably for 20 years now, I've seen like that, that video of you know, everything is a screen, your mirror is a screen, the wall is a screen, there's TVs everywhere. Where are we in, in five years with that? And then like, also when you're talking about the cars, like we have Cadillac today, we have Lamborghini today, and then we have, you know, Toyota or something more affordable, right? Like, are there gonna be differences like that in terms of the internal experiences of the car? Mm, great question. Um, so two very diff different questions. Let, let's talk connected home first. Um, I, I think it's important to understand you know, screens aren't proxy for technology, right? Like okay. screens don't have to be everywhere. In fact, I think it's almost the opposite. The more invisible you can make technology and the more integrated you can make it, the better. that's why I think you're starting to see the rise of uh, connected speakers. Hmm. And, you know, Google just announced their, their new speaker. Uh, Amazon just announced a line of new Echoes. Um, so, I mean, imagine now literally like placing these things in inconspicuous places throughout the home and having this like omnipresent assistant that you can talk to. Yeah. Um, it, it's really think about the endpoints, like what it can do. It's not that I'm necessarily needing to watch something on a screen, but it's I want the microwave to warm up my dinner mm -hmm. or I want my uh, I want my coffee waiting for me. You know, I think it's stuff like that. And and. The reality is a lot of that is happening today. I'd say we're still in the early stages of it. It's going to um, perfuse more throughout um, our homes and, and 
you know, products are going to become more sophisticated. I think the price points are also going to start to, to, to drop down a little bit as well. Um, and, and so you'll start to see more and more adoption um, of that in, in the coming years. Um, do, you, do you read uh, Ben Thompson at all? The, his, his article on Stratechery, the daily newsletter? I don't. Interesting quote, I think yesterday, the day before, where he said regarding the Alexa and the in the connected home launch, he was saying that the anthropomorph anthro good lord, the anthropomorphization of the home is something that needs to be like understand you, anticipate your needs, and of course, like that's what Alexa is now. It's the voice, or like Google is now the voice of your home, right? Like they even if you saw like Amazon removed their um, their logo from the home device, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like. It's so interesting that like the home is now a thing. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I love that you nailed that word anthropomorphization um, because it, that's really what it is, right? You, you, you want to figure out how to bring that technology and that intelligence to life in ways that aren't alien to us. You, you want them to be natural and comfortable. And that's where I mean, literally, my kids are growing up with it now, and it's it's they know it's a trusted resource to them, um, mm. and they can ask it questions. They know they're going to get the truth from it, um, and, <laughs> and 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 so you know, I think that's a a, a very real uh, technology trend that we're only going to see continue to grow in the years ahead. You know, I'm going to ask you a metaphysical question, right? Like, does that make us less human? Like, do we, do we, are we going to continue to just be unable to communicate with each other the more that we're able to communicate with our home? So, so this is actually a very serious topic, right? Um, And, and um, I, I do believe that our reliance on um, devices, and I think it's, this requires a deeper study. So I I don't want to generalize, but the more time we're spending glued to our devices, focused on things like social networks and WhatsApp and text and, and, and other things, I think that is changing our dynamic of how we all communicate with each other. Um, our willingness to readily consume feeds of content without vetting them for authenticity and, and intellectual capital, um, you know, I, I think that's definitely changing the, the fabric of our intelligence and our ability to communicate. So that's something I'm, I am scared about. Um, and that, uh, you know, there's the, this documentary that just came out on Netflix, um, yeah. the social dilemma. Um, you know, I, the, the, the people behind that, uh, the center for humane technology, um, a lot of brilliant minds there that are mm. kind of standing up for reimagining technology and being responsible with technology. Um, and I'm, I'm a big believer and a big supporter of that. That's super interesting. I, di- I didn't realize that they were partnering or a thought tank that partnered with technology folks yeah. um, yep. to, to change the way that we think about it. That's interesting. We, we don't have a ton of time left, but I really want to dive into the autonomous vehicles because, I mean, that's, that's stuff you really know. And my first and most obvious question to me is, like, what are the different models of cars going to look like? Are we going to have, like, a Lamborghini, a Cadillac, internal, you know, is is... Don't tell anybody that I mixed up Ford and GM. I'm going to lose all credibility in this space. But like, <laughs> right, like is the Ford or the GM vehicle, the affordable kind of everyday, I mean, they have nice cars, but the affordable everyday vehicle is just going to be like 
devoid of anything? Like what, what, are, what are the different levels going to look like? So let's, let's uh, quickly compare it to the, the airline industry today. Okay. Right. Um, you consciously make this, most people consciously make the decision that I'm going to fly Delta or I'm mm-hmm. going to fly United or I'm going to fly Spirit or I'm going to fly Emirates or, or Etihad or, you know, British Airways. And that's typically where our journey begins. And it's, it's about the service level. It's about the loyalty. Um, and then it starts to become about, you know, what type of experience do I get on that aircraft? Um, are, are, are the seats comfortable? Do they have the type of cookie that I like? Is the Wi-Fi reliable? Um, I very rarely, um, and, and, you know, I know there are people who are airplane buffs and they love knowing what model they're flying on and, and the engine configuration and all of that. But my hypothesis is that we're going to care less and less about things like that. And it's going to be more about the, the brand and the experience that, and the loyalty that I'm aligning myself to. But number one in the airlines is price, right? Right. The, the, if you, if you look at the way that people purchase flights, I mean, I think like when you get business travels, sure. Loyalty programs and experience makes a difference, but the vast majority of the normal of the everyday, you know, person chooses their, their leisure flight based on price. Is that going to be the same, or do you think that's going to be different? Or as the price is going to be no, no, no. relatively commodity? Price, price is certainly still a very important driver. Um, okay. But my my point here is that it's price and experience and all of these other variables compared to you know what brand. Now, now let's transition to to vehicles and mobility, right? Um, mm-hmm. Am I going to care as much about the brand of vehicle that I'm traveling in? Am I going to care as much about the model? Um, and, you know, is it, uh, you know, how many people does it seat? And, and it's going to be more about my preferences and my use case and, and my cost sensitivity and the experience that I want. Um, now, you know, I think they'll certainly align certain models and certain vehicles to, you know, mm-hmm. what is the delta of mobility versus what is the spirit of mobility. Um, and, you know, they'll likely form their partnerships and have their preferred vehicle providers. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, and, and I think this also kind of aligns with you're starting to see um, there are many questions about vehicle sales um, and uh, have we hit peak sales numbers? Are we going to start to see sales declining? Um, mm. There's data saying that fewer and fewer 16-year-olds are actually submitting driver's license applications. So mm. my point here is that you know the appetite to for people to drive and the interest in specific vehicle brands and models is changing today relative to what the industry thought thought in the past. Um, and, and I think it's going to be more about that experience and that convenience and that cost. Um, that are going to be the drivers about how we select the services that we use. That That's fascinating, right? Like the first thing I wanted to do in my life when I was 16 was get a driver's license to just get behind the wheel and like have freedom and like sure. all of that. Why, why is that changing? Uh, I mean, I, I think frankly, I think it's partly it goes back to that whole push towards technology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, People are more focused on rapid connection, on on uh, 
rapid gratification. Um, driving is becoming more of a pain point for, for a lot of people, especially when you think about, you know, a lot of people are spending time behind the wheel stuck in traffic on their way yeah. to and from work. Um, and those are frictions that we don't want to have to deal with and we don't want to waste our time with. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I think that's why you, you see some sustained uh, business opportunity in the likes of Uber and Lyft and, and you know, some of the other competitive landscape. I think that's why micromobility um, is getting traction in certain markets. They're offering alternatives to the pains and frictions of needing to own and drive. Hmm. So um, you're sort of talking about maybe 20 to 25 plus years out, right? Where the, the body itself kind of becomes commoditized and, and the inside is how you're competing. Um, how do you consider the balance between short-term design where you've got people who are afraid of giving up control to a computer um, and also the realization that like, hey, what Waymo is doing in Arizona, those are, are five minute trips so you're not going to sit there and watch a movie on on this big screen in the in the car um, versus the long term potential where you could be in an autonomous vehicle for an hour and a half on the way into work and you care more about having that full suite. So like, hmm. how how do you think about the cost of really building out this ecosystem when short term people aren't going to take advantage of it just because the the use case isn't there yet um, versus getting them over that hump of hey there's a computer driving this thing and I'm okay with it. Yeah, no, no, I think that's totally uh, fair characterization. And, and that's where you know, I think the gray area that we're in today, uh, you know, we can realistically achieve um, level two, level two and a half, um, maybe up to level three. Um, and you see the likes of Tesla uh, with their autopilot uh, capabilities. Um, you know, GM is making a lot of advancements with Super Cruise. Um, and so I think there's still this uh, sufficient provision of, of autonomy where, you know, maybe in that long haul on the highway, um, I can get some of that relief of allowing the vehicle to, to operate itself. And that's where then, you know, you just start to see some of the other uh, UX elements that are being developed inside of the cabin coming to play, right? There is, and obviously we have to have a conversation about safety and distracted driving um, and, and what's okay and not okay. But, um, you know, things like consuming content inside of the cabin, um, commerce inside of the cabin, you know, um, there's a lot of conversation happening around creating the marketplace inside of the car and being able to shop through your HMI, um, whether that's, um, refueling or coffee or a bite to eat or, you know, uh, reserving your parking spot. So I think you're, while we're not fully autonomous and we're not ready to sort of give over that full control, there is this balance of, you know, how much uh, autonomy can we give the operator? Uh, and then what is the other set of features and experiences we can create in, in that cabin? So I think that's that's the space we're in today. And you're starting to see, um, I think it's still early days in that UX space. Um, the reality is you know, you've got entrants like uh, Apple with CarPlay, Google with uh, Android Auto that are coming in and challenging the OEMs. Um, 
so I'm, I'm, I love it. I'm fascinated by it. Um, prior to becoming a Tesla owner, um, anything that didn't give me an Android auto experience, um, sure. I, I hated. Um, but you know, that ability to just have that personalized experience is by plugging in your device and pulling up that, you know, your music library, your contacts, all of that. I mean, I, I think that's the experience that people are coming to expect in the vehicle today. But there's there's a control question there, right? Like there's a or an ecosystem question rather, right? Like Tesla, I think, refuses to work with Android and Apple, but will work with Amazon. Like there, there's consideration as to like who controls the customer experience, right? And like will the GM and Fords of the world just give up and like want to go with Google and Apple because it's already so integrated into like their calendar and their email and everything else? Um, like who will partner with who there? Uh, I, that's a fun game to watch, right? I mean, I, I think uh, um, no one wants to cede control. If, if you take that sort of as the foundational mm. basis, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I, I kid you not, I was literally, during my time at GM, um, I was in a meeting where I said, hey, we're never going to beat Google or Apple at delivering the experience inside of the vehicle. Why aren't we doubling down? And, right. and and you know really elevating that experience and and providing them more access, uh, sharing more data and creating better experiences. Um, and and the vice president that I was talking to said, you know, we don't want to get in the game of just being uh, a, a commodity player. We we don't want to lose control of the customer um, and. You know, I likened it to the the mobile handset industry. Hmm. The reality is that the car maker is more like Samsung um, than they are the the OS developer, right? They're not Google. They're not Apple. They're they're the handset manufacturer, and they don't want to be that. Right. Um, and so I think you're going to see kind of that that battle play out, and and you're going to see partnerships form. Um, you know, aiming to find that right balance. Um, you know, I love what Google's doing with um, uh, Google Automotive Services, you know, really offering the, the full suite of software solutions and um, that Volvo is buying in and, and offering a full Google experience inside of the car. Um, I mean, it's fascinating. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, it's going to be fun to watch how that all plays out. Who has control then? Like, let's play, let's pretend that that's the case. Right? Let's say Volvo and Google form a really close partnership. And in an autonomous world, is Google directing the car? Is Volvo directing the car? Who's insuring them? Like who's in control? Who who holds accountability for that stuff? You're asking a lot of tough questions there. Um, <laughs> and so, so you know, I mean, at the at, at the most fundamental level of where does the control lie? Um, that is all going to be part of the software stack um, or or the AV stack, right? It's mm -hmm. It's part of the, you know, a, a, an autonomous vehicle has a, a perception system that can see the world around it. Um, it has a, a localization capability to, to know where it is. And then it's taking all of that information um, and making decisions, right? There's, there's planning and, and behavioral decisions that have to happen. That's all based on you know, machine learning and algorithm development that that technology stack contains. Um, so if it's if it's you know 
Waymo, then it's their driver that sits inside of that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think the legalities of it, you know, who's going to get sued in an accident? Right. I think those are those are still big open debates right now. But the, the prevailing philosophy is that you know, whoever the decision is lives within the tech stack, whether that liability that then gets passed to the service provider or the vehicle, that's all still, I'd say, TBD. Who do you think? Who do you think if you had to put a stake in the sand? Um. You know, if if I, if I go back and and um, draw parallels to the airline industry, mm-hmm. um, you know, we saw what happened with the the Boeing mm-hmm. situation, um, and I don't remember the the model number, but you know, there were software defects in that plane's control systems, right. um, and we saw what happened. Right. Yeah, you know, I think the airline ultimately holds the liability. Um, as the operator of that vehicle, um, but it sure as hell didn't look good for Boeing, and and they <laughs> suffered ever since then, right? And and right. Um, their their technology has come into question. So um, yeah, I mean, I I would probably parallel that and and say you know the service provider it will will hold a majority of the liability, but the the underlying responsibility still lives in the technology. Hmm. That is interesting and like hard to parse. And you also like wonder what's going to happen to the insurance industry, right? Like, yeah. and, and it depends, like, is it all public? Is it a public commodity or is it like two or three companies that win and like hold the whole contract for all of the infrastructure? But I guess that that's really far out. But, you know, we'll, we'll post in the in the medium later, but we were just showing your tech stack from the AWS presentation. Um, and one of the big things on there you have is like monitoring, right? And cameras in the car. Are people going to be concerned with privacy? Like, how, what are you monitoring? What are you taking a video of? Yeah, so let me also clarify that that um, very oversimplified uh, architecture was for the tech stack inside of the vehicle, right? That Mm -hmm. is intended to complement the whole tech stack that needs to focus on autonomy. Uh, Oh, I see. So so this is separate, um, Mm -hmm. but think of this as like the the internal facing driver. Right, mm-hmm. and this is the person who's making sure that you're comfortable inside of the vehicle, that you haven't left uh, your your purse behind, um, or or whatever. Uh, and so that's where, yeah, I mean, I, I do think something like monitoring is going to be an important component to uh, delivering the right experience inside of the vehicle. Um, and in the same way that we think about, you know, if I get in a cab or if I get in an Uber. Um, there's a certain amount of that privacy that I'm ceding to the driver, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that driver might be privileged to hear some of my conversation with uh, uh, my you know, fellow passengers or whatever. Um, you know, there's going to be a, a analogous privacy considerations that you have to make uh, e- even when there isn't a driver in the vehicle. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that cameras other interfaces, microphones, um, you're going to have a lot of those uh, types of modalities that people are going to need to interact with. Um, and, and that's the only way I believe you can create a um, both a an enjoyable and a safe experience in, inside of the vehicle. It opens up so many interesting questions around privacy. And like, 
people want privacy and we we fight for it, but then do we actually use it? Right. Like we get opportunities and how much do people actually care or like how much are they willing to secede? I wish we had another hour with you to just dive into that, to dive into so much more. But we are coming up on time. And so I wanted to give you our closing question. Um, we did provide it to you in advance. So hopefully you had some time to think about it. But if not, even better. Um, but what is your boldest, most interesting, unique prediction of how the world's going to be different five to eight years from now? Right. Not 20 years up, but five to eight years from now. Like, what do you believe in your heart? that you know is a total moonshot, but you think is still going to happen? Um, you know, I, I think it is along this line of uh, um, you know, the, the home automation, um, our willingness to allow more technology and more robots and um, different form factors into our, into our lives. Um, I'm very excited about where that's, where that's heading. Um, I think we're still very much at the early stages. And I think it's a reality that we're going to, to see play out um, in the near term. Um, so, you know, I talked about all the stuff that I have automated inside of my home. Um, you know, I'm excited to, to, to get my hands on, on a robot lawnmower. And, uh, um, you know, I, I have a Roomba, I'm not gonna knock them, but there's a lot of room for improvement. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think the role that robots and, and intelligence um, are going to play in our day-to-day -day lives is, is going to increase. Um, and, and I think there's a big opportunity for that to happen in, within that time frame that you're talking about, you know, five, eight, ten years. Um, it's fine. I, I used to give a, a talk um, to, to college students where I would flash a picture of the Jetsons on, <laughs> on the screen. And half yeah. of them didn't know who the Jetsons were, which shows <laughs> kind of how old I am. Um, but what I used to tell is that the Jetsons was uh, a, a creation from the 1950s of mm. what we envisioned life in 2020 to look like. Mm. And, you know, we, we certainly don't have the fully functional Rosie the Robot and we're not all whizzing around in, in you know, our own drones and, and air, like flying pods. But there's still a lot of that future that we dreamed about back then that we can look at today and say, crap, it's it's happening. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that technology is is going to continue to evolve and, and our lives are going to um, get better because of it. It's, it's interesting to think how much how much did the Jetsons probably impact what we focused on and how different the world could have been if the Jetsons was like created differently. Like maybe we're just trying to build the Jetsons. But uh, Zafar, man, I really appreciate you coming on. It's, it's really good to see you again. It's really good to connect with you again. I don't know if there's anything that you want to share, whether it's with Wharton students or with the broader tech community that's on your mind or any, you know, platform that, that, that you, you have you want to share. Uh, well, thank you, first of all, for the opportunity. Um, it's, uh, it's great to talk to you again and, and good to meet the rest of the, the team. Um, I mean, you guys as, as students um, are at, uh, have an incredible opportunity ahead of you. Um, this is such an exciting time, um, and you know, like I talked about, there's so much happening in terms of technology and new products that that we're building that have the potential to, to change people's lives. Um, you know, I'd say first and foremost, you're going to be empowered coming out of your program to go land that dream job. Um, look for something that is going to meet you where you want to be. Oh, actually, I'm going to steal this. So 
there's there's a principle that I like to live by called ikigai. Mm. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, Google it. Um, but it's really it's about um, finding work that you love, doing things that the world needs, um, something you can actually get paid for, and um, leveraging your strengths. Um, and so I think it's just really important to think about your future in this context and um, try to check all of those boxes. Uh, I think that's the path towards, you know, satisfaction um, in life and, and you know, doing something that you love, doing something that the world needs, obviously getting paid for it. Um, so, you know, when we talk about how crazy my own life journey has been is because I've constantly been trying to optimize towards that and mm. find the path that's going to get me there. And, uh, and I'm still searching, to be honest. So, um, you know, I, I think we're all going to go on that journey together. But I'm always happy to, to be a mentor and, and, a, and a friend to, to talk if, if anyone ever needs that. I'm a Google search away. Um, so you can, you can look me up and reach out. But um, I'm super excited for all of you. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for your time and attention and hearing what I have to say. And uh, I'm looking forward to creating the future with you all. Thank you, Zephyr. Thank Appreciate you. It. Yeah. I'm